0: Are you ready for some nosy bitches?
1: Because this is about to get
0: explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. Hey, Carla. Hi, Michael. How Hi. are you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Those of you that know us know that this has been a big week for us. Some some big deployment at our company that we've both been working on for a long time. That's
0: why we are indulging in some relaxing Wine and True Crime?
1: I I, I don't know what that says about our character. (laughs) I do a subscription to Naked Wines, and this is one of their
0: kind of smaller batch ones, and I really like it. This is a really interesting case. For whatever reason, I had not heard about this case at all. I hadn't either. Where did we get this case from? Someone recommended it, right? It
1: was, and we did not write down which listener did it. So if you were the listener that recommended this to us, please let us know. We want to give you credit for it because this has been... Such an intriguing case to dive into. I was drawn to it as soon as I looked it up because this is also referred to as the Swan Street murder or the Logan Circle murder. Uh, That's Washington, D.C., which I I lived near for almost seven years. So right in my backyard and I had never heard about this case. This is the case of Robert Wan. We're going to do our best to lay it out um, over the next two episodes. I think what I'd like to do today for you, Carla, and for you, dear listeners, is to lay out the incident itself, the the scene of the crime as police and emergency responders found it the night of Robert's death, get into some of the statements of some of our characters that are at play here, and then next week we'll get into the subsequent trial and some of the aftermath of this one. And it's worth noting just right at the top, and I'm sure we will reiterate it throughout, this case is still not solved. It happened back in 2006, and multiple rabbit holes have been gone down by investigators and lots of speculators in the internet webiverse. Every rabbit hole they've gone down has been cold, and this case remains
0: unsolved. So the thing I like about Part 2 is that means I can spend the next week in subreddit threads trying to see about all of the crime sleuths That's who right. have conspiracy theories on this. So I'm really excited. I know very little. I know enough to be dangerous yeah. about this case. Um, so I'm really interested to hear how you lay it out.
1: I will tell you I'm kind of nervous about this. There are some interesting pieces of this that I think come down to, at least as far as the media response and the police response, come down to possible bias And it's bias that just makes me sick to my stomach. But I hope that we lay it out in a good way. And I hope more than anything that we do justice to Robert Wan and his surviving wife, Catherine, and that we do a good job telling their story. Are you ready to dive in?
0: Let's get it. Do we need a double explicit warning here? Well, I don't
1: feel like it's quite quite as explicit as Lorena and John. Okay, that's Um, fair. But definitely there are going to be some references to sexual acts that are
0: untraditional in nature. Grab a glass of wine, sit down, and take a listen. Michael, take us back.
1: It's the night of August 2nd in 2006. Since we always do the age thing, Carla, I had just graduated high school the previous August, so I was a whopping 19 years old in this one. So on the night of August 2nd in 2006, we're in Washington, D.C., and a frantic call comes into 911 at about 10 to midnight.
2: DC emergency 911, one operator six seven five two. Do you need police, fire, or ambulance? What's wrong, ma'am? We just we had someone there was <laughs> in our house, evidently. And they stabbed somebody. Okay, somebody's inside the house now? I don't know. We heard are they bleeding? You see someone bleeding. Someone is bleeding in our house. Okay, where's they bleeding from? I I think I think in the stomach. <laughs> So i be cautious. Uh-huh. I'm, for me. I'm gonna some help, okay? Female male. It's a, male. He's a friend of ours. He's been, he's been the
1: night with us. The call was made by one Victor Zaborski, who lived at 1509 Swan Street, which is part of the Logan Circle neighborhood in the district. So, like I mentioned, some of the articles I read reference this as Swan Street. Some of them Logan Circle. Through frenzied tears, Zaborski tells the dispatcher that a person. In his house has been stabbed. During the call, Zaborski is asked some general questions by the 911 receptionist, establishing that the victim had been stabbed in what was believed to be the abdomen area and that Zaborski believed the crime had been committed by an intruder. He didn't know who had stabbed the person. The dispatcher gave Zaborski instructions on how to apply pressure to the wounds telling him to apply a clean, dry t- towel to the wound and to keep consistent
2: pressure. Okay, what I need you to do is go downstairs, okay? The place, where wherever he was standing, I need you to get a dry cloth, okay? And just apply pressure to that area. If just, wherever he was standing on his body, I need you to take a towel downstairs While you're waiting for the paramedics to arrive and just apply pressure. Even if the rag or towel is saturated with blood, just get another towel and put it on top, but never lift the first towel off the area. Holding on. Once they get sealed, they will put the number of on top of that. And just apply
1: pressure. Okay. Zaborski stated that his partner was following the EMS instructions. And the 911 person on the phone assured Victor that paramedics and police were on their way. They said that they would stay on the line with them until authorities arrived.
2: Okay, we have help around, ma'am, okay? We do have help around. Okay, just go down in and try to tell your husband or your other um, the other hand to just try to keep them calm and talk to them, okay? <sighs> keep them calm and talk to them until someone gets there. Okay. And at the same time, get a dry cloth We just hold it right there in the area. My partner's holding okay. it. it okay, Okay, and once it gets saturated with blood, get another one. Go get another towel So you're going to apply on top of that no. one once it gets filled up with blood. Uh, uh, we, just, need, uh, we need you to just apply pressure Hold the area. area. Okay, just hold it in until the paramedics get there. They should be pulling up any moment. they already arrived to your location. You don't know who did this. We have no idea who did this. EMS
1: arrived in just over five minutes from the very beginning of the call. That is very fast.
2: We have paramedics pair minutes here, bro, okay? What time is it? What time is it at the moment? Uh yes. 23.54. It's 11.54, ma'am. Yes. I mean... I'll the line with you. I will still the line until somebody gets here. okay? We'll hang up. We need them right now. I'm not hanging up, but we need, we need help now. Okay, see you around, ma'am. See you out. Let me know when you hear. here. Okay, a minute. Can you look out the window and see? Yeah, yeah, here, no coming. I'm, I'm looking out the window, and I see nothing. I see nobody. Okay, like they right now, but the iron around, ma'am. They're coming. I here they are. Here they are. See you there? <laughs> I'm going downstairs. Okay. I'll I'll stand the line, what you see, you open the door for a few minutes, okay? Help us. We I mean, have mm-hmm. one of the stats. are on our second floor. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is this? What is this? Me It's really an emergency. I mean, he's hurting. I'm sorry. Ma'am, it's will be okay. <laughs>
1: When EMS arrived, several questions almost immediately started coming up in their minds. The nature of the crime happening in such a posh neighborhood drew pretty instant suspicion from them. First of all, if you live in any part of D.C., it is expensive. You have been priced out of it if you are not doing some sort of job that is earning you at least six figures. Or if you are living there and not earning six figures, you're doing so with like 15 roommates in order to be able to afford it. Logan Circle specifically is one of DC's most fashionable neighborhoods. It draws a lot of young professionals there, often in high powered and even higher paying jobs. At least when I lived there, Carla, this was the land of lawyers, young executives, and otherwise successful entrepreneurs and business owners. The specific home they were being called to, again, was on Swan Street, 1509, which was a beautiful town home. This whole neighborhood was full of town homes that were multiple stories. And in D.C., just know that even though these are attached homes, these are very, very luxurious homes, um, and they still carry a hefty price tag. This one in particular, even at the time, was valued at well over a million dollars. Gosh, that's crazy. The nature of the neighborhood meant that it was a really atypical scene for this kind of violent crime, right? This is not the part of the district they were thought they were being called to. And the male EMS even said that it struck him as odd when he heard that it was Swan Street. He's like, really? We're going to Swan Street for this kind of thing? It immediately just struck him as "That's, that's not normally where we'd get called for this kind of thing.
0: I just want to go back for a second. I'm always really critical of 911 operators because sometimes they're just not helpful. But this 911 operator, she was super. She was amazing. Yeah. She was probably one of the best.
1: It is really compelling. It's you hear Zaborski. He's clearly upset. If he's acting, which is going to come into play here in just a little bit as uh, lots of speculation swirls around this case. If he is acting, he is doing a really convincing job. He is clearly upset. He seems almost, like, confused, because I'm sure that this was just a really overwhelming event for him. When EMS arrived, they were met at the door by Victor Zaborsky, the one that originally made the 911 call. He was on his cell phone. They believe he was still on the line, of course, with 911. That corroborates yeah. with his story when they arrived. They ask him what's going on. Zaborski seems out of it, though, and didn't directly answer, but they overheard him mention to whomever he was on the phone with. Again, we're assuming that's the 911 dispatcher at this point. They heard him mention a stabbing on the second floor. Important to note here that before we get into the next bit, that Zaborski shares this house with his domestic partner, Joe Price, who is an attorney at an influential D.C. law firm and with Dylan Ward. The three men would self identify as a family, saying that they were all three working toward being in a committed relationship with one another. Price and Dylan had met out on the streets of DC, going to various clubs sometime prior. Price and Zaborski had been longtime partners. And at first, Zaborski wasn't necessarily warm to this, but after spending some time with Dylan, Ward eventually was warming up to it. And they were working toward being in kind of an equal part, three way, consensual relationship. Okay. With Zaborski's reference to the second floor in mind, remember they overheard him say that to whomever he was on the phone with, authorities went up the first flight of stairs in what was a three-story townhome that also had a basement. On the second floor, EMS personnel encountered Dylan Ward, who was in his bathrobe. They asked him, just like they had Zaborski at the front door, what was going on, but Ward didn't answer him either. Instead, dylan walked past them and back into his bedroom which was also on the second floor so on the second floor you can imagine townhome you go up the stairs and you're kind of going to go over to the left and over to the right so i don't know which direction this was but went one of the directions and there's a bedroom that's associated at the front of the house that's looking out on front on to swan street so it's on the side of the house with the front door and then a second bedroom that was facing the back of the house Dylan Ward's bedroom was at the back of the house. So it was right across the hallway from this guest bedroom where this incident took place.
0: Such a weird reaction to just not saying anything. Like something is going down in your house. Yes. Not say anything and just walk on into your bedroom like, hey, I just pay rent here. And
1: I will say as I read it and listened to the podcasts and all the things on this, that struck me as weird too. And it seems like the consensus is kind of split here. Like immediately, if I'm the EMS personnel and they mention as much in uh, later reports, this is either going to feel really, really suspicious, which is kind of how they took it. Or the other possibility is this person is entirely in shock.
0: That's fair. And I'm thinking about it, especially knowing that they're in a cohabitating relationship, the three of them, the three men. That's right. And obviously, they're calling about somebody else. But so I'm thinking about it in a situation, my son is at college and he shares, you know, an apartment with I think three or four other men. And, but if EMT or EMS were to come into their apartment, I could imagine one of his roommates not knowing what else is going on, walking out and being like, I don't know what's going on and walking back in their bedrooms. Because they don't, even though they all live together in that apartment, like they don't cohabitate with one another. It's not like friends who are roommates. They're you know, individuals who all got put into the same apartment. So, to me, that's an odd behavior. But you're right. If somebody's in shock or like just doesn't know what to say or do, silence is the answer.
1: Remember, this is late at night too, on a school night, right? Yeah. So uh, these people had been woken up. That's the other thing that crossed my mind too was trust and believe for the first ten to fifteen minutes when I am awake the world does not make sense. It is a very fuzzy place to me. And so just like there are lots of explanations, but this struck me as odd. It also struck the EMTs as odd as they were getting into this scene. In that guest bedroom, which was really an office that had a sofa that had a pull-out bed in it. So they had that that pulled out and it again faces the front of the house overlooking the street. They found the body of one Robert Eric Juan. Robert was an attorney in D.C. who at the time had recently begun a new position as general counsel for Radio Free Asia. He knew Joe Price, by the way, personally, so they had met back in college. They attended William and Mary University together as they were pursuing the law degrees, and they'd been friends for years. And Juan had planned to stay that night at the townhouse weeks before. So as part of him starting this new position at Radio Free Asia, he wanted to make sure that he got to meet some of the night shift in the area that he worked. So this was a, a kind of a planned session, and he had arranged to stay at their house because it was... Closer to his place of employment than his own home, which is all the way out in Oakton, Virginia, which any of you that know the DC traffic and all of that shenanigans know that while that looks close on a map, during any kind of traffic, it's it's quite a ways. We'll dive a little bit more into Robert here in a bit. I think it's really important that we tell his story But for now, I think that it's just important to note that this was who they found in that guest bedroom and that he did have a previous friendship with Joseph Price, who was one of the primary owners of this residence on Swan Street. As soon as they saw Robert, they knew or suspected at least that he was already dead and beyond that, that he had been dead for some time. Robert's eyes were open. His pupils were dilated. His night guard that later we'd learned from his wife he wore every night to prevent himself from teeth grinding, definitely part of that young person hustle there in D.C. as an attorney, doesn't surprise me at all. His body appeared to have been restrained, and he had a massive stab wound in his abdomen. Joe Price was also in the room, wearing only his underwear. He was sitting on the bed, had his back to the door, and he was not applying pressure to Robert Wan's wounds, nor was he otherwise touching the body in any way, which I just found significant, Carla, because Zaborski had specifically said on the phone with the 911 dispatcher, I'll have my partner do what you're instructing me to do. Remember, you know, from that recording that we played for you all, she had said, you know, apply this pressure, put it on there, do not take it off. So they just found it. It struck them immediately as odd that he was sitting there just not touching the body at all.
0: So here's the only thing that I'll say, and this is just my take of it, is that... Victor was somewhere else. Like the way it sounded like to me is when Victor called nine one one, it was as though Price had said, "Hey, go call nine one one. That like, did happen. We yeah. learned that from like, later statements. Don't come in here. Co- go call nine one one. I imagine if the body looked like it looked when EMS came in, yep. Joe Price already knew that he was dead. And I imagine thinking if I were to find one of my friends, so if I were to come into a room and find one of you guys dead, there – clearly you didn't die from something that looked self-inflicted. So I immediately would be like, no one come in here, go call 911, and I'm not touching anything. Like I don't even – even if you told me like do – mouth like I'm not going to do any of that. I already know that the person has passed. So like for whatever that's worth because I don't know – what happened? But I would imagine that that's kind of the reaction. That even though the nine one one operator was like, "Oh, do all of this if you already know the person's dead," and you know they're not—they're dead for some reason other than in self-infliction. It wasn't natural causes. Like he didn't fall asleep and die
1: with his eyes open <laughs> right. and massive like—he didn't die sleep. in his body. That's right.
0: Yeah, that I probably would be the same way. Is that I'm just going to be sitting here with my friend you know.
1: It's also worth noting, again, that Joe Price is an attorney. He's not a stupid person. I think he automatically sees, and we'll get into some of the nuance of this, because I definitely have feelings on this case and some of the ways that it was handled and some of the speculation that was made about Dylan, Victor, and Joe later on. I just think it's worth saying he's a smart man. He's an educated man, has probably already read the writing on the wall that whether or not someone in this house did this or not, that this is a weird situation. I I hope this is what was going through his mind, needed to protect the scene, but there might have also been a little bit of, I need to protect the people in this house, especially if, which he later says he didn't do it.
0: Interesting that he's in his underwear. It seems as though somebody had just been woken up out of their sleep. They're in their underwear. They didn't even bother getting dressed. They're, you know, panic-stricken. So that's interesting.
1: They find him in here not applying any pressure. That immediately registers as weird. Also strange to them that he has his back to the door. And the EMT, the male EMT asks, just like he had Zaborski at the front door, like what is going on? Shit's getting real, real fast. They report that simply responded, I heard a scream. And at that point he stood up, he kept his back to the EMT workers and moved sideways away from the bed. It was really strange behavior. It struck the EMT as so odd that he remembers making a mental note that shows up later in an affidavit that we'll reference a lot throughout this episode, that he visually checked Joe Price for any weapons, like he thought something really hinky was going on, that he might be dealing with one of the perpetrators of the murder. And he also noted that so typically when you get into a scene, you know, the bed's in your way, and so you're going to go to the fastest point of reference to the victim. But he made the specific choice after Joe Price had moved away and toward the door to go around the other side of the bed so that while he was examining the body, he could keep eyes on Joseph Price.
0: Oh, so he was very suspicious. Something was going
1: on in his head that he was just like, why is this person acting like this? They weren't taking any action to like. Save this person from what they could see. There was no evidence of that. And then, like, awkwardly sidesteps. Like, I'm trying to imagine, Carla, how weird that would actually be. Imagine you're an EMT and someone stands up, doesn't even look at you, refuses to kind of talk about the situation. And when they walk away from it, instead of doing the logical thing, which would be to turn around and walk out the door front facing. They're crap walking it sideways away from the bed.
0: As you're describing it, I'm trying to think in my head. I guess, to me, this is a very smart individual who is a law professional, right? Yeah. And so they're supposed to approach things in a very non-emotional, very factual, driven, and so he's probably kind of an overdrive, I would imagine. Yeah. This is someone that he knew for a very long time, was a good friend. And so if if I think about it in the eyes of this person is innocent, right, innocently, that part doesn't make me suspicious.
1: The EMT checks the body for a pulse and for any other vitals, which only confirmed what he had suspected when he first saw the body, that Robert Juan was in fact deceased. Closer examination would reveal that rather than the one big stab wound than they thought was originally there on the body, in fact, there were three stab wounds, and one of them was clearly in the heart. As awful as this scene sounds, and it is awful, one of the most shocking things first responders notice was that there was almost no blood at the scene.
0: Well, that's why he wasn't holding towels up against wound marks either and pulling blood if there is not pools of blood pumping out of his body. But it's and, odd, right? And he was dead.
1: The, the scene was nearly pristine. With only, so the only blood found in this whole scene was a small amount on a knife that was on the nightstand, a small amount on a towel, and a few drops that were on the bed linens. Just really, really odd. The towel, by the way, was the one that Zaborski had claimed was used by Joe Price to apply pressure to the wound, just like the EMT had told him to do, The um, sorry, the dispatcher, rather, when yeah. he was on the phone. All of it was strange. The the body, the bed, the room, everything was too clean. It immediately struck EMTs as odd. One of the holes in Robert's chest was supposedly big enough to fit one's finger in it. But somehow we're supposed to believe that the bed was almost entirely free of blood. There were only two small spots, and these two spots, when they did further investigation, just indicated that the body had basically laid where it was when these wounds were applied, right? And so it had kind of pooled in these two spots. It had a really really solid edge around it to indicate that there wasn't a lot of splatter, there wasn't a lot of movement that was going on, which we'll talk about this probably a little bit more in the second episode, but that's really odd too. These are vicious stab wounds. And so typically if you're dealing with that kind of violent crime, there's some fight back. You're not going to be in a situation where there are only going to be two small pools of blood like you're you're trying to fight for your life. Blood should have been everywhere. wasn't on the floor. And here's some other weird shit. The bedding on the bed was beyond the fact that it was nearly blood-free. It was pristine. It was almost like the bed had been made. The top duvet comforter cover had been folded and had a perfectly straight line when investigators got there and the body was laying on top of it. The pillows were unruffled except for a single indentation. It was almost like Robert's head had been laid there and didn't move. And if the crime happened there, that means that he didn't move at all the entire time that he was laying in the bed while this crime was happening.
0: That's really suspicious. One is because he's a young man, a young, healthy man. 32 years old. Yeah. So you would f- imagine that there would be s- some type of struggle. Yes. I would be curious to see, like, just to help answer some questions. Did the wife confirm that, like, this is how he sleeps? We all sleep differently. It's just fucking weird.
1: It really is. Really is fucking weird.
0: Did Count Dracula come in? <laughs> I, I just need to know. <laughs>
1: I want to suck your blood. All joking aside, this is striking the EMTs as just impossibly strange. It doesn't make sense. One of the EMT workers even is quoted as saying that it appeared the body had been showered, redressed, and placed in the bed because none of this was consistent with a violent attack or any kind of struggle that you think would happen when you were being violently attacked. But it's bigger than that, because in fact, the entire house was pristine, described by officers as being well-appointed, high-end, with a sophisticated security system. And remember, they had walked into the first floor and up to the second floor. And also remember that all three men claimed that there had been an intruder, which of course put officers on high alert, but it makes it even stranger that the entire house was pristine. If this was an intruder, nothing has been ruffled. Nothing's in disarray. Nothing has been stolen on these two floors, including the room where it appears a very violent crime has been committed. How could someone have gotten into a house where four grown men were staying and no one was the wiser? Because remember, Zaborsky is saying on the 911 call, and all three living men in this situation would later claim that too that this was some unknown and unseen intruder that got into the house but how does that happen even stranger to officers was that there was a staircase that led from the first floor to the second floor these were wooden stairs and they were uncarpeted they were very creaky like you ain't getting up and down these stairs without hearing it if you're at all conscious and awake The home had locks on all the doors that were in working order. It had a large fence. This was a seven-foot security fence that wrapped all the way around the property, Carla, and it was in good working order. The gate to the residence to get in that fence was locked. A top-to-bottom review by the authorities said that there were no signs of forced entry at any of the doors, any of the windows, any of the entry points to this home.
0: So it is really weird, again, because like three grown men, and, you know, maybe, maybe. Four. Okay. Four. And he didn't alert. I mean, so either this is like, got the best walls that we've ever heard of in construction. I have such a small house, so, yeah. like, you can hear every single step. But clearly my house is not that well built as maybe this home might be. But I don't know. Even that, unless – And I guess because the other thing that it makes it weird to me is – Anytime I hear a suspicious noise, I'm immediately like, who's murdering my whole family? <laughs> so Is that why we run a true crime pod podcast? Yeah, Is that <laughs> that's immediately where my brain goes, like, who's murdering me? Like, uh, you know, and so maybe it's because I have this fight or flight sense built into me at all times of night. Hearing weird things, you know, being suspicious. And also like they live in a bigger city. How are you moving? I don't know how heavy juan was but i imagine okay let's say like at best you're 150 bucks right you're 175 maybe yeah 175 thing. pounds that's gonna be a lot of dead weight to move to clean remake a bed like well, where'd you put the sheets like where did this did the intruder scott peterson want like wash the sheets <laughs> i mean it's just Dude, anybody ask scott peterson where he was and <laughs> well, some of
1: this actually no, speaking of prison past <laughs> cases right some of this reminds me straight up of John Bonet, where same thing there, no signs of forced entry. But I also wonder if this could have potentially, we mentioned this in the John Bonet case, was this a symptom of too much sense of security? I live in this super nice neighborhood, okay. a very wealthy neighborhood. I've got a security fence, I have a security system, my doors and windows are locked, like everything's good. Like, what you talk about? I'm completely safe here. So I wonder if that was part of what could have led to any complacency that would have allowed an intruder to come in. I, I just don't know. All of that said, and all of that speculation aside, a few other things felt off to the officers. We've already mentioned some specific odd behavior, but there was more collective odd behavior too. They described all three men as very calm and almost two together on what they were doing multiple officers recounted that none of them were emotional at all also when they entered the home none of them tried to direct the paramedics to the proper room and both emt workers said that typically when you come into the scene of a violent crime like this people are are almost hysterical they're they're screaming they're yelling and they're just trying to immediately point you to the scene of whatever needs help so Either Carla, like in their minds, I understand where they're coming from. It's kind of like what you said. Either these men were already so sure that Robert Wan was dead that they were just like in a state of shock and almost like a fugue state or something fucking hinky is going on here.
0: Yeah. Okay, because I get it. To the fact that like you don't know where to direct him. They're in this three-story house. Like do you tell him to go right or left, you know? And I don't mean to replay the tooth story, but... I This was very traumatic to yes. you, wasn't it? <laughs> I think about it all the time. I'm a panicker. So first of all, like when you show up to my house, I'm not meeting you at the doorway. I'm gonna meet you in the fucking street. Like I'm I'm directing you, but do not ask me which direction to go or like any details. I'm going to be so in fight or flight mode that my brain isn't functioning and I'm I'm I don't know how to answer anything. I'm probably pointing. I know that when I get really flustered or get really upset, that's what happens. Yep. But these guys are kind of cool, calm, collected. In my mind, they've already gone into self-preservation mode. That doesn't necessarily make them guilty, though they're looking very, very suspicious. None of this looks good right yeah. now. <laughs> None of this looks good. But I do feel like for that account, it is weird that they're not like, okay, this is where we're going. This is where it's happening. He's in the second floor bedroom to the right
1: or even why is there not some sort of frantic person in that bedroom that is making it super obvious that that's where it is and instead when you come into that bedroom you have joe price weirdly crab walking away and saying i heard a scream
0: also like just okay law of odds that you have three people with the exact same personality i it just like if someone came in this house right now me and you would react totally different right? Like you would get different reactions from us. And so, you know, I would, three people acting the exact same way to me is strange.
1: And they kept using phrases that led officers to believe that maybe they had talked about things before EMTs arrived there. Things like we saw, we heard, suggesting to EMTs and later to officers This feels maybe a little coordinated. It definitely doesn't feel like we are getting three individual accounts of what's going on here. In fact, when police arrived, and this was after an initial intervention by the EMT professionals, right? They're coming in trying to save a life, but police were also dispatched at that point. They found all three men together in the living room. This is on the first floor, wearing really nice, clean, white robes. The affidavit actually described them as crisp. The official affidavit also said that it appeared as if they had just showered, and Joe Price seemed to be doing the talking for all three of the residents.
0: Well, he's a lawyer, right? So
1: I—and to your point, I think that the three men understood very much the speculation that was about to come their way. There is a straight, married lawyer that is staying in the house of three gay men that claimed to be in a consensual relationship together, claimed to be in a family. If what we're thinking is true and that Joe Price is a smart man, I think he smell exactly the doo-doo that had just been dropped yep. and understood that there needed to be a concerted effort forward. To me, that doesn't necessarily mean guilt. It could mean that. It could also mean he just understood he needed to protect himself and protect these other people that he loved.
0: Even if you're innocent at this point, and I, I guess I see this all the time with crimes, both innocent and guilty, is that at some point, there's nothing you can do for this person who's already passed. That's right. That, that moment is gone. They're, they're gone. What you can do, though, is in the moment and make sure you don't spend 20 years behind bars for something you didn't do. That's right. All of this strikes police is very odd.
1: They transport them to the Violent Crimes Branch at the Metropolitan Police Department in the early hours of August 3rd in 2006. And because they were feeling weird about what they were getting from them collectively, they interviewed all three of them separately.
0: As they should. They That's should right. do that. Separate Good police them. work. That's yep. right.
1: What I will say is that all of them relayed very similar accounts, even when they were separated, of the evening leading up to that murder. And so that I don't miss details here, they— re- put like a summary of that night into the official affidavit that was filed by authorities, and I'm going to read directly from that affidavit. By way of background and all, according to multiple witnesses, both Price and Mr. Juan were William and Mary University graduates. The two had met and become friendly with one another during their time at William and Mary. Indeed, the two men had developed a close friendship. In the years since graduating William and Mary, The two men stayed in fairly close contact and socialized together on occasion. Mr. Wan had recently started a new job as general counsel for Radio Free Asia, located at 2025 M Street, Northwest Washington, D.C. Mr. Wan intended to stay at work late on the evening of August second, two 2006, so that he could meet the night shift workers at Radio Free Asia. Accordingly, he had arranged to spend the night at Price's Swan Street home, which was not far from Mr. Wan's new place of employment. Mr. Wan had never spent the night at Price's home. Mr. Wan had previously informed his wife that he would be spending the night at Joe Price's house. According to Price, Zaborski, and Ward, Robert Wan was exclusively heterosexual and none of the three had any sexual relationship with Mr. Wan. According to the statements given to the police on August 3rd, 2006 by Price, Zaborski, and Ward, Mr. Juan arrived at the Swan Street residence about 10.30 p.m. on August 2nd. Mr. Juan, Price, and Ward shared a glass of water in the kitchen, and then they all retired for the night. Mr. Juan took a shower and then went to sleep on the pull-out couch located in Price's second-floor office that also served as a guest room. Ward was asleep in his second-floor bedroom, and Price and Zaborski went to bed in their third-floor bedroom. According to Price and Zaborski, sometime after falling asleep, they were awakened by a security chime that would ring any time any door of the residence was opened. According to the residents, the security system was not engaged at the time. According to Price, he didn't pay any attention to the chime as he thought it might just be the basement apartment tenant arriving home. According to Price and Zaborski, they then heard a series of three grunts that alerted their suspicion. They then left their bedroom, went to the second floor of the residence, directly to the room in which Mr. Wan was located, and reportedly saw Mr. Wan lying in the bed having been stabbed. Price and Zaborski also indicated that it was at this time they saw Ward emerge from the second floor bedroom for the first time. The three occupants all reported Seeing no one else in the residence at the time, hearing no one running down the uncarpeted wooden hallway or the stairs from the second floor guest room to the first floor or otherwise fleeing the house. Seeing nothing out of order in the residence or anything missing from the residence and not hearing a second door chime that would have sounded had someone opened a door to leave the residence after the murder. In their interviews, the three uniformly maintained that the killer must have been an unknown and unseen intruder in the residence.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. So someone came in, security system that clearly chimes, but doesn't...
1: It wasn't engaged. So like, just like if you opened my front door right now, my security system would give a beep beep, but it wouldn't sound the big alarm because we don't have it turned on.
0: Okay. Okay. Got it. All right. So they don't hear it. They don't hear anybody coming in.
1: They don't hear anyone running down the wooden hallway, anyone coming up or down the wooden stairs.
0: All they are notified is a second chime, which has to be, okay, so if we go down the theory that this is the truth, capital D true, then that chime that they hear is the person leaving. But they
1: didn't hear the three grunts until after they heard the chime.
0: Okay, so that's what I'm thinking. Because the other thing is
1: they think might have been correlated with the three stab wounds for whatever yeah, it's. Yeah, but worth.
0: my thing is if they're grunting, that means they're still breathing, right? Like if you're hearing grunts because somebody's being stabbed, or even a reaction to have been stabbed, you're breathing. And guess what breathing does? It causes bleeding. It sure does. But there's no blood everywhere.
1: There's no Blood. Uh-huh.
0: I don't I don't even know what
1: to... I mean, it's just... I'm really
0: glad you didn't tell this story on Halloween. <laughs> I might have stayed the night.
1: <laughs> later examination of the body would reveal that there were additionally some puncture marks found in his chest, his neck, and his foot. Officers suspected at the time, and this was later confirmed with forensic evidence, that Robert had been sexually assaulted. But as if none of this had been weird enough, Carla... Oh my God, I can't even. The semen that was found in, inside, and around his body was his own.
0: Oh, I think I have it. I think I figured it out. He (laughs) sexually assaulted himself and stabbed himself three times. And because he was such a neat, orderly guy, he cleaned himself (laughs) up. He cleaned
1: up up after himself. I mean, that must have been... I, what the fuck? A five-inch knife that they later realized was from the kitchen was also in the room along with a towel. But it's worth noting that neither of these had a large amount of blood on it. They described the biggest spot of blood on the towel was like a two-and-a-half by three-inch spot, which, by the way, is still significant. I mean, that that is a big cut. But when you have three major incisions on a body— one of which they literally identified was in the lung, one was in the upper abdomen, and one was in the heart. There is no way, there is no possible way that that accounts for even a fraction of the blood that should have been at the scene if this was, in fact, the scene of the murder.
0: So because of the puncture wounds, do we have any listeners that are an Emmy? Because what I would want to know is... Could there be something injected that would have stopped the heart and the stab wounds were almost overkill at that moment, right? Because you've stopped the heart from beating. Like if you think, okay, like there's some crazy person who has come into this home to do this ritual killing, they've stopped the heart, they were able to stab him three times and not create this huge blood scene like that's what i wonder like is there something that you could have put inside him that would have created less of a crime scene because it's really hard to get behind this intruder cleaning up an entire crime scene with three other people in the home unless they really just didn't it up right unless unless they went to bed and they were like i'm not worried about whatever noise is happening outside of my bedroom door you do you and i guess that 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 comes to again like they all have a relationship with one another that's what i would imagine people living in an apartment who don't know each other and they all have like their own little space and okay i'm not going to be worried about the loud noises i'm hearing from next door like you do you boo But I I just can't see that happening in, in a house where three men are connected to one another. It really
1: is so confusing for investigators and is part of the reason that this murder still in 2022 remains unsolved. It truly doesn't add up the idea that this body was so pristine, but also the utter lack of evidence in the house, right? Like if you have this body that is lying dead in the bedroom and you were to believe even closely some of this timeline, which by the way, was later backed up by other evidence, stories that he told his wife, Um, the fact that he did in fact meet these nighttime workers at his Radio Free Asia, like these things actually happened. So some of this timeline we know to be accurate. So even if I suspend belief, around the three men's stories, which do feel decidedly flimsy, right? The idea that this kind of violent crime happened starting sometime after 10.30 p.m. after Robert Wan had already arrived at the house and that he had been violently murdered after following your theory, and it was one of investigators as well, Carla, after having been drugged. So you are drugged, sexually assaulted, by yourself. Have, well, or at least at the very least, after some sort of weird, maybe, to, I like the word you use, maybe ritual act, you have your own semen inserted into your body, and then you're murdered, completely cleaned up, and we mean completely cleaned up, to the point where there is a very small amount of blood that is in the room where all of this supposedly took place, and no obvious blood or signs of struggle anywhere else Not only inside the residence, but outside within that seven-foot security fence that they have there. Like, what the fuck happened here? And remember that this call happened 10 to midnight. So all of this would have had to take place in just under two hours. Like, when I start thinking about it, i am what happened here? What the fuck happened to Robert Wan?
0: All I can think that if I were an investigator and I walked into this crime scene, I probably would quit. Like, I would have fucking quit that day. Like, I think I have some hard days. But I am sitting here thinking, like, it make it makes sense. To me, if I'm going to go with an intruder story, at least kick in a door.
1: Something. Like, like if you're trying to cover up right. what's going on here, you did yourself no favors by literally having the house completely pristine. But at the same time, people on the other side of this argument, would say, well, that kind of proves that there might have been something else that happened. Again, so many parallels to the John JonBenet case. I have questions about what happened with that downstairs apartment. So I know we've mentioned the three men, uh, Dylan, Joseph, and Victor, that all live in the house as cohabitants, but they also had a fourth person that lived at the residence in a basement apartment. And she was out that night she had called joe price ahead of time and basically said i'm likely staying at a friend's house i'm not going to be home and there is a separate entrance to that basement apartment so is there a possibility I why there? she would
0: call him and tell him she wasn't going to be home that night so
1: i think it had to do with the security system and the security lock in the fence right okay. like need to make sure that it's good to go because part of that call when i read reports of it was her basically saying like hey just so you know I'm not there. Everything's turned on. Everything's locked up and good to go. And then Price and Dylan and Zaworski all arrive home later that evening. And Robert Wan doesn't come into the scene until several hours later at around 1030.
0: Okay, to recap. Robert Wan comes in around 1030.
1: 1030. He's a 32-year-old lawyer there in DC, working late, meeting the night shift. Gets to the residence about 1030.
0: Okay, he's like, hey... It's great to see you. Thanks for letting me stay. They have a glass of water. Just water. Not even wine, not beer. Oh, that nothing. sucks.
1: I know. Seriously, if you're going to go out that way, I would have at least liked a nice glass of Cab sauv, mm. Like, come on. That's even worse. <laughs> I
0: know. So he decides to go to bed. <laughs> Essentially, from all we know, he gets ready, goes to bed. The other two men go to their bedroom. The other man dylan dylan goes dylan ward goes to his bedroom
1: and remember he's the one that entered this relationship a little bit later
0: okay and they're all they all just go to bed yep they hear this chime later on in the evening time and then they hear some grunting noises and it's like no something's going on and so this is like what like a few minutes before midnight about
1: 10 minutes before midnight is when the 911 call came in And all three men claim that this happened just minutes before they made the 911 call and found Robert Wan's body.
0: Did all three of them find the body? So
1: this was actually Zaborski, Victor Zaborski, and Joe Price that found the bodies. So they're the ones that I don't know specifically which of them was awakened by it or if both of them were, but it was enough between the sound of the chimes and the grunting that they heard. It was enough for them to be roused from bed, and I'm I'm guessing this wasn't specifically laid out in the affidavit, but my mind can get here. They realized the sound was coming from the second floor. They immediately went to Robert Wan's bedroom and found him stabbed. Dylan Ward did not come out until later in the evening. And later reports by Joe Price would say he seemed very much like he had just woken up and didn't know what the hell was going on. And
0: it's a, it's what we call a school night, so it's a work night. That's right. Like it's not a you know a Saturday night where they're partying and things like that. Like everybody essentially, it's ten thirty at night.
1: Everyone goes to bed, and the next thing that they know, they wake up to this horrific but almost decidedly ungruesome scene.
0: So the murder weapon is never found.
1: The murder weapon is never found, and we'll go into more detail about this later, because we did find what could be the source of that murder weapon in one of the rooms in the residence.
0: Okay. So the actual, because I think that was something I, from from the 911 call, I was assuming that the knife was still in the body, but it wasn't. We just have empty wounds that are there that are not showing as much blood as they should. That's right. The body is very suspicious because of the lack of blood. The room is very suspicious because the lack of any evidence
1: along with blood. And no sign of any kind of struggle. Remember that Robert still had his night guard in, that he his eyes were open. There was no blood sp- spatter indicating that he had struggled at all. His body would indicate that he was just as shocked by what would had gone down, as all of us are hearing
0: about this case. Okay, puncture wounds found In his neck, feet, and abdomen. And abdomen. Almost sounds like acupuncture or something like
1: that. I mean, just the craziness that we are going to get into as we examine some of what they found in the autopsy and the subsequent investigations of the house are going to blow your mind, Carla. And the media swirl and speculation that would come around this were just insane. And honestly, this makes this case a little awkward and painful for me because much of the speculation by authorities and by a lot of other people on all the publications and all the internet sites seem to be honing in on this idea of what was this straight married man doing at the residence of three gay men, what went down here. The interviews by police, I promise you, we'll read some stuff from the affidavit, were sexually charged and I think borderline, if not full-on, inappropriate and definitely leaned into this idea that them being homosexual meant that there was some sort of sexual deviance here and that they might have been involved in some sort of nefarious way.
0: I guess, to me, I'd be less concerned with who's having sex with who and be more concerned with who killed who. i just having
1: a different opinion of what a consensual relationship looks like Does not a murderer make so even if we are to believe some of these wild theories that are going to be bandied about that we'll get into in more detail next Mm -hmm. week you still have to wonder does that mean that they did it what do you think listeners we'll be back next week but until then bye bitches
0: bye
1: made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And I know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback, but at the end of the day, it's also important that we remember to stay kind, stay curious, but of course, stay nosy, Bitches.
0: bitches.